0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: I remember that day so well, I'll never forget it. When did you first realize the potential impact of COVID-19? For infectious disease doctor Monica Gandhi... It was while she was in a meeting with her colleagues earlier this year when the reality really set in.
2: We had our division meeting, and we're all, of course, in person in a crowded auditorium. And at the end, we honored the ophthalmologist in Wuhan who had died. And we had a picture of him and just said
1: how sorry we were that this new infection had arisen. She's talking about Dr. Li Wenliang. The 34-year-old Chinese doctor who was one of the first people to raise the alarm about what he was seeing at the hospital where he worked. This was before COVID became a pandemic. He died from the virus in February, despite being young and presumably healthy. Even now, that remains one of the mysteries of this virus. When people become infected, some people come down with mild symptoms or none at all, while others have to be hospitalized, even die. We know there are risk factors. We know your age, pre-existing conditions, they all play a role. But still, why does this coronavirus hit some people so much harder than others? On today's podcast, I'm gonna talk to Dr. Monica Gandhi about one possible hypothesis, viral dose. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's Chief Medical Correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact Versus Fiction.
2: What are the factors that contribute to severity of disease? What was it about the pathogen that made it more severe? And what was the characteristic of the close contact of having a lot of exposure that could be related to severity of illness?
1: Dr. Monica Gandhi is a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She also serves as director of the School Center for AIDS Research. As a scientist she raised an important question and then tried to formulate a hypothesis. We started thinking about this
2: question of the dose, of the viral dose of the virus making you more sick. The more you get in, the more sick you got.
1: We think of dose of lots of things, dose of a particular medication, whatever it may be. But what is viral dose in this regard? How do you explain that?
2: The viral dose is the amount that you get in. So some people, if you're very far apart from someone and um, it comes from very far away, may get in a little bit of virus. And some people, someone coughs right in your face and you don't have protective material, you get in a lot into your body. And so it's literally the amount to which you're exposed. And we've very specifically been using the word dose or inoculum. Inoculum usually means the amount that you put in the body like in an experiment.
1: And can you measure this? I mean, how is viral dose measured uh, in some sort of consistent way?
2: The problem is you cannot in humans. They have an animal. So like a Syrian hamster model, they very deliberately inoculated the noses of hamsters with specific doses of virus. And the higher doses they gave them, their um, poor little CT scans were much worse. They had really a lot of inflammatory disease if they gave them a lot. But we cannot know how much a human gets in. We can simulate, we can look at particles in the air, but we cannot and have not and will not do likely, experiments with this particular virus. You just can't do with a virus that can be deadly. It would be completely unethical. So we're just guessing. We don't know the amount that it takes to get people sick.
1: But I, I just want to make sure I understand this. Like, if you think about conception, you've got to fertilize one egg ultimately. And so the idea of having enough sperm to be able to fertilize one egg, you want to have plenty so that you increase the odds that an, actually an egg gets fertilized. But after that, the egg is fertilized, right? It just increases the odds. Is, is that what you're saying with viral dose? It increases the odds that a cell will then become infected with this coronavirus? Or are you saying multiple cells become infected? Like, what leads to the increased severity of disease?
2: It's an excellent question. And... I don't think we exactly know, but there are theories about it. So um, I will specifically say that not every virus looks like the amount that you get in is related to severity of disease. So what we've looked back on is challenge experiments with five viruses, because this has been clearly shown. Mm. They have done experiments with influenza, with rhinovirus, which causes the cold. They have done experiments with respiratory syncytial virus, which causes a more mild respiratory infection. Mm -hmm. They have done this with rotavirus that causes diarrhea. But it doesn't happen with other viruses. We haven't seen this with norovirus, or we haven't seen this with other viruses. So there's something about some viruses that make you more sick if you get more in. The hypothesis with this particular virus is that the immune system has something to do with it. When you get a lot of virus in, you get overwhelmed. Your What's called your innate immune system gets overwhelmed and you can get more sick just because your immune system is almost turning against itself. It's why we use steroids in uh, COVID-19 to decrease mortality. So the hypothesis is that if you get too much in, you do get infected, but you can't control it well because your innate immune system is out of control. And when you get a little bit in, you still get infected, but your innate immune system doesn't produce all these destructive things that, um, that cause severe disease, and you're able to control it more.
1: Now, that's very compelling, and, and you know, I think it makes sense even to non-scientific people. But what you're describing, Dr. Gandhi, is this a hypothesis or do we know this?
2: This is a hypothesis. All of this is a hypothesis, actually. And I was just thinking about, you know, when we learned in school, what's a hypothesis? What's a theory? What's a fact? We're never actually going to be able to experimentally in humans show that a little bit of virus makes you sick and a lot of virus makes you more sick. It literally, we cannot do this with a fatal virus. This is a very deadly, serious, scary virus. So it will get more and more evidence behind it, and it will graduate from a hypothesis to a theory like evolution. So it's going to be um, epidemiologic evidence gathering for this hypothesis that can
1: make it a theory, but it's going to have to stay at that. So if, if the idea is that a higher viral dose could lead to more severe illness, and again, we don't know that there is a dose response curve, as they call it with this particular virus, but let's say that's the case. Does it also mean that a a lower viral dose would lead to either milder or shorter acting immunity?
2: Yes, I think it's going to depend on how much antibodies have to play and how much T-cell responses have to play. So thinking about two arms of the adaptive immune system, B-cells and T-cells, B-cells are the ones that produce antibodies. And we have seen studies in which antibodies fade more quickly if you had a more mild or asymptomatic illness. The other arm of the immune system being T cells, which last a long time and they can be reactivated and come back in time. Memory T cells, if they see the virus again, T cells, there seems to be strong T cells, SARS-CoV-2 specific T cells, even with mild or asymptomatic illness, at least in now about eight to 10 papers over the last eight weeks. How long they'll last? We do not know. And that is really important to say because it's still a young infection. It hasn't been out long enough to know how long that immunity lasts and how durable it is. But it does seem that T cells can go out to six months, at least in some studies. And again, we don't know if it's longer.
1: You wrote this article in the New England Journal of Medicine called Facial Masking for COVID-19, Potential for Variolation as We Await a Vaccine. It's gotten a little controversy, and I want to make sure we can clarify. What what was the message you were trying to put forward with your co-author, Dr. George Rutherford?
2: So what we were trying to put forward is the idea that one more argument for masking is to say that even if you get exposed um, and you do get infected through the mask, if you get less of a dose, could you have more asymptomatic disease? And then we've been seeing study after study quite recently, actually, over the last eight weeks about immunity developing with uh, asymptomatic or mild infection. And could that protect us while, while we're waiting a safe and effective vaccine?
1: That was the concern, right? Because then people would say, hey, look, I can go out into a high-risk setting as long as I have a mask on. Maybe, maybe there's even a benefit to it because I won't get sick, but I'll still get the immunity from it. That is not what you were suggesting, though, right? Just to be
2: clear. It, I was not, that was not what we were suggesting. I'm an infectious disease doctor. I do not believe that people should get deliberately infected. No pox parties. No COVID-19 parties. It is dangerous. We don't know all the factors that go into the interplay between host and pathogen. And what we were discussing in our article is that people may be exposed anyway because they are out and do whatever it takes to make yourself as safe as possible.
1: Dr. Gandhi and her co-author, Dr. Rutherford, have presented an interesting hypothesis about another possible benefit of masking that it might limit your dose enough that you could develop some immunity without getting very sick. But I want to make very clear, that is just a hypothesis for now. And other experts have strongly disagreed with this. So we're gonna need to wait and see what the evidence shows. The bottom line really is this. You have gotta wear a mask when you're out in public. It's just so important at this point. There's already good epidemiological evidence to show that masks can help limit transmission of the virus. And that, along with handwashing and keeping physical distance, is our best bet for fighting this pandemic. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.